sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome once again to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 135. Finally, there is a glimmer of good news to share. Apparently, Palm Beach County is going to open golf courses this week. So that could potentially get me out on the golf course at some point soon. Truthfully, I'd be fine just getting in some chipping and putting. Hopefully, you are going to get some good news as well, wherever you are in the world right now. But you know what? It's still time to be cautious, be smart, wear a mask, wash your hands. Remember, we are all in this together. Another small sign of normalcy is that there's actually going to be a small fundraiser tournament taking place in Dallas this week at the Merido Golf Club. Now, it's not unusual for a charity tournament to help out the local community, but this one is set up to benefit the caddies that have been out of work during the coronavirus pandemic. What makes it a little bit more interesting is the field. You have All-Americans like Cooper Dossey from Baylor and Quade Cummins from Oklahoma. Then you got Eckroat and Hovland, some Oklahoma State guys, Scotty Scheffler, Will Zalatoris, former Walker Cuppers, and of course, you can't do anything in Dallas on a golf course without Tony Romo being involved. I hope to have some more information on this tournament later in the week, not just who won and what they shot, but I'm more interested in what these players were going through trying to play competitive golf again. I think the PGA Tour is going to have a pretty close eye on how this tournament unfolds. So should be pretty interesting. Hopefully I'll have some more information to share with you later on in the week. Now, I mentioned Quake Cummins, All-American from Oklahoma. Well, my guest this week is his coach, Ryan Hibble. Coach Hibble was a two-time All-American at Georgia and has been around major D1 college golf for quite some time. After spending four years as an assistant coach to Chris Hack at Georgia, he took over OU's program in 2009. He got to work quickly and changed the culture. In 2017, he led the Burley Boys from Norman to a national championship in just his eighth season. We spoke about the culture in Norman. We also spoke about his seniors, and he shared some pretty incredible stories about some of his players that you might not hear anywhere else. Sure, you know the players like Brad Dahlke, Blaine Hale, Garrett Reband. Yeah, he's had some studs on his team, but what about the players that quietly contribute and grow into solid student-athletes during their tenure at school? For parents that are listening to this podcast, make sure you pay attention to this episode. One little side note before we get started with Coach Hibble. If you've been listening to these episodes lately, you'll notice that I've mentioned when these episodes are being recorded because things change so often. Well, at the time, none of the seniors on the OU team had made any sort of a decision public on whether or not they would be returning to school for another year. But today I reached out to Coach Hibble to get a confirmation on which seniors are coming back. Quaid Cummins, Riley Casey, they are coming back to Norman. So, like I said, things are changing from day to day, even from when episodes are recorded to when they're released. So, just wanted to let you all know about that. Let's get this episode started. Coach Hibble, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm doing this, uh, you know, since it's the world we live in, we got to kind of let listeners know this is being recorded on March 25th because things change every single day now. Um, 
I mean, you're you're locked in the house with the wife and, and two girls. You got a lot of estrogen around you. How are you coping? <laughs> Forget about coronavirus. You are just it's just an avalanche of estrogen that's surrounding you right now. How are you coping? Yeah, you know what? I'm doing all right. Uh, this is it's crazy. Um, you know, God's plan right now is is potentially very very unique and 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 uh, just life changing for all of us when it comes to being able to spend more quality time with the family, kind of slowing down. I kind of feel like we're back when I was growing up in the, in the eighties right now, even though we do have cell phones and and we're doing a podcast right now. uh, But it just, it's, it's been really, I mean, thankfully right now for us, we're, we're healthy. Yeah. So it's been really good. I mean, we've been building a fort um, (laughs) down on our property. Uh, You know, it's been, it's been fun for us to kind of do things like that. Uh, I've speaking of estrogen. Yeah. I've got, quite a bit of animals on our piece of property that we live on. We've got three female donkeys and uh, a female pig and three dogs that are all female, uh, three chickens, uh, hens. So I've got no male on this piece of property other than myself. So, uh, but it's all good. I wouldn't have it any other way. And, and uh, we're, we're having fun kind of just getting back to some family stuff. My, my girls are right now inside with my, my wife. She's kind of teaching them. They're going through a normal school schedule. So good. Good. Yeah. How many, uh, I'm just curious, you just mentioned all this, all oh, the, the daughters and, and your daughters and everything. Um, how, how many times have you seen the movie Frozen? <laughs> uh, which one, number one or two? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, yeah. if you, if, if you want to get into a dissertation on the differences, yeah. I mean, you know, the, se- yeah. the sequel can't be as good as the original. I mean, let's just start yeah. right there. I mean, it's, they're both pretty good. I'll be honest with you, but yes, that th- those movies have been watched quite a bit. Uh, so my first daughter, Addie, Frozen one was like her movie when, when she was that three, four, five age group. Frozen two has been a little bit more for, for my uh, second daughter, Harper, who's eight. And of course, Addie still loves frozen two as well, but it's just amazing what Disney can do. And then, I mean, yeah, it's, they it's, can turn yeah. just everything into, into gold. And uh, it's, it's really brilliant how they do it. I'm sure this is exactly how you thought this podcast episode was going to go. So um, we'll, we'll bring it on back to golf now just to kind of get back into my comfort zone and what I you know, know a little bit about. And we can talk about what this season could have been for your team. Obviously, you were, you're trending towards that national championship to, to go for a second title. I know you wrapped one up in 2017. You're going after another one. So obviously, you know, it's very early for – you and the players and everyone to really comprehend that so let's talk about some things about your start in the game and how you got into the position of being the head coach in Oklahoma I know you're a native Georgian and you played collegiately at the University of Georgia you came in as a really top recruit I mean top junior player in the country was Georgia just always the school you wanted to go to or was there a real tough process figuring out where you want to play collegiately yeah, no, uh, good question. But, you know, I, I go back to my uh, my life and the decisions that were made quite frequently now just because, you know, when I'm recruiting, some of these conversations end up coming up about this, that, and the other, about my life and my past. So uh, it is interesting how I ended up where I was. Uh, but also uh, you got to understand the timing. So I, I did – I grew up in a small town in South Georgia – called Hazelhurst, Georgia. Uh, and my brother, who's two years older than me, uh, a very good golfer himself, uh, was getting recruited by a lot of, you know, division one type programs, but he's a, he was a big time football player. And 
because of his status with football, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Um, I was able to go on quite a few unofficial visits with him nice. during his recruiting process. And the University of Georgia, to be honest, coming from South South Georgia, for us, we were actually probably more Florida State fans growing up. I was actually a huge Notre Dame fan. Okay. But uh, but but as we kind of going through his process, I, I would go up to Athens with him uh, quite frequently. And I started to fall in love with the school, you know, and what the Red Coat Marching Band was about and the football program. And it just so happens Chris Hack took over the job in 1996, I believe. And uh, in 1999, which was my heaviest recruiting year, this was before kind of the early commitments, uh, you know, and whatnot, what that we know of, of co- you know, college recruiting now, uh, they won the national championship. And so there was a lot of momentum with the, with the golf program. And, uh, you know, I did have kind of a tough time uh, when it comes to my, my choice. I mean, Georgia Tech was, you know, Bruce Hepler, who's still there. It's, it's interesting, yeah. you know, 20, 21 years ago, these guys are still at their spot. That's how good they are. Uh, Bruce did a great job recruiting me. Uh, I, I came out to Oklahoma state and, and, and did that whole thing. And um, UNLV and Texas were, were kind of in the game. Uh, UNLV was at the top of the game back, back in those days as well. So anyway, long story short, um, actually, and, and Coach Hepler doesn't mind me telling this because I've told him this many, many times, but I actually told my mom and dad I was going to go to Georgia Tech. And uh, they told me I need to kind of sleep on it and, you know, let's keep going through the process here the next day or two. And and uh, sure enough, Coach Hack ended up calling me like that night. We ended up talking. I ended up having one more visit back over to Athens, and, and I actually committed there that, that weekend, which was only about two weeks prior to the NLI signing period which I know that sounds crazy in today's world, you know, because everybody kind of knows where they're going Sure, pretty, pretty early on. But, but back then that was, that was somewhat normal. So uh, it was, you know, Athens, it was a great place, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons, you know, me and my wife, uh, we both went to school there. Um, It's where I started my coaching career as well. Once we got done playing. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of good things happened there and and, uh, it was a great place for us. And you had this tremendous college career and also some pretty well-known names on that team with you. I'm, I'm thinking of, of Kevin Kisner as, as one of them. And just there's so many great players that came through Georgia. What have you, what have you, and we're going to get back to your assistant, you know, coaching run there and, and learning from Coach Hack, but maybe what are some of the similarities between playing for Georgia and then also coaching Oklahoma? Does it seem to, do you, are you kind of recruiting the same kind of, yeah kids because i'm seeing some of a parallel there yeah you know whenever i came on my interview to oklahoma i thought i mean for one we were not in very good in good shape as a golf program when i got out here i mean we were ranked about 100th in the country uh the the program had kind of slipped uh they used to dominate back in the 80s but towards the late 90s and 2000s even though we had some really quality players like an anthony kim the program itself just wasn't a very it wasn't in a very good spot. So I could foresee our place being the type of golf program that could be very dependable and very consistent uh, because you know how good the players are in Texas uh, in junior golf. Um, obviously Oklahoma doesn't have quite the quantity, um, but, but the quality is very high when it comes to junior golf and recruiting and all that kind of good stuff. So you could kind of feel that. 
and that's the you know the method that we've tried to to go after over the years is we're probably not going to go all over the country and get a bunch of uh, you know five star quote unquote five star type guys. Our bread and butter is kind of sticking it right here uh, in in our region uh, and really loving on our guys that that we feel like can develop and grow and mature. And, you know, Oklahoma can be a, a hard place to come play when it comes to the conditions. And if you don't know what you're getting into, uh, it can throw you off a little bit. So we have to kind of have kids that understand what they're getting into. And, you know, Georgia's similar in the fact that, you know, I feel like uh, Hacker's been able to always get the guys that are in state and in, in those surrounding states down there that, um, you know, there's just a really good crop of, of players down in that neck of the woods and uh, very, very fortunate that state is what it is. A lot of it is owed to, you know, the masters and, oh yeah, and, and the history, you know, Bobby Jones and the history of that state, every family is not afraid to take their kid to the, to the club or to the driving range and go hit balls, you know, whereas that doesn't always happen in, in other States. I've learned that as I've moved out, that's not a normal thing, but that's what I grew up around. And I, and again, it's because I grew up in that state. So um, and it's not just that southeastern area down there. There's just a lot of a lot of really good things when it comes to golf. Oh, yeah. So, um, but but yeah, I mean, I would say that we've tried to somewhat follow the same path in 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 our views of getting kids that are you know regional and the kids that fit our program. I mean, that's what I'm looking for is somebody that fits our golf program because not everybody's going to fit, and that's the hard part. Yeah, and and you know you're in the Big Twelve conference around. I mean, you know Oklahoma State's right next door, and you got Texas and Baylor. You get you know all these fantastic programs, and you know I'm you know you compete really hard on the course, and I'd imagine the competition, like you said, on the recruiting space is just as intense. And I'm just curious, like, are there things in players and recruits that you're looking at that make them sooner material? And I don't mean that they're not you know bear you know baylor bear material or, or oklahoma state cowboy material material but are there certain things that you kind of see that you're like yeah yeah that's a that's a sooner guy i i that's as opposed to maybe some other ones yes um i definitely think that that's part of the evaluation process for us and you know we don't always hit right yeah. um we're, we're just like everybody else we we whiff and and um you know don't maybe do as good enough job uh, digging in as probably maybe we should, but, but over the years, I feel like we've done pretty well in identifying kids that, that can be successful from a development standpoint uh, because that's ultimately what this thing's about. I mean, don't get me wrong. Great players can make us coaches look really, really good at times, but we, you know, at, at our program, I really, am all about getting guys that genuinely want to get better. You know, uh, I've seen some incredible examples of guys that have been that way uh, with our golf program and just continue to get better and better and better. By the time they're 26, 27, 28 years old, they're, they're just so much better than what I ever even maybe envisioned for them, you know? And, and that's kind of what keeps me going in the recruiting world uh, in a way that it doesn't always have to be the best kid out there. You know, I mean, we don't get me wrong. We want, we want talent. We want that. We want really good players, but, but uh, the drive is, is ultimately 
the thing that, that really gets us going. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you a little bit about your seniors a little bit later, but you know, we're on this recruiting kind of part of the conversation. So tell me a little bit how you get a kid like Patrick Welch on your team who, <laughs> from Providence, Rhode Island, yeah. that, that grips the club cross-handed, not just putting everything. Can you just maybe share the story of how, how Patrick Welch became a Sooner? Because if I'm looking at it, just his bio, and I'm looking at maybe just clips online, you know, maybe you don't see that as him coming to Oklahoma. You don't, you know, he's, he's not from the South or, or Midwest and, and he's, you know, Rhode Island, obviously, I mean, I just recently spoke with Brad Faxon. That's a pretty small area of the country. So tell me a little bit about just the, the Patrick Welch recruiting story. Yeah, and I, I would say Patrick's kind of an asterisk uh, when it comes to our our typical makeup. You know, I just was talking about getting our kids in our area. He's from Rhode Island, originally from San Francisco area, so they they almost feel like they're a little bit misfits, you know. And and <laughs> I think I think he, I mean he knew he was going to be leaving that area regardless, okay. right? Um, when it came to to college golf, uh, Patrick is a big time athlete, um, really good in ba- baseball, really good in basketball. Um, you know, for the body size that, that he has super athletic and powerful within this 135 pound frame that he has, you know, and I first saw him at the U S junior when he was, I want to say 13 years old. And when you, you know, when he grips the club, it kind of throws you off because you're just not used to seeing that. I grew up around a couple guys that, that were, that played cross-handed and I, I was always amazed at how good they actually hit the ball. So whenever I saw this kid and it was really, really smooth, um, I'm like, man, you know what, this isn't that bad. And we just kept watching him and kept watching him. And I, my old assistant, uh, who, who's actually at coastal Carolina now, he's the head golf coach there, did a really good job just really staying on top of Patrick over uh, those last couple of years. And, Patrick came in on a visit and his dad came in on a visit and you could just feel the fit. Um, I could feel the fit. That's kind of what, you know, what I was talking about earlier. That's what we're looking for is can this guy be successful here at this golf program? And you could kind of feel that. Um, and he, he needed more opportunity up in Rhode Island. He didn't have many great places to go play. Yeah. Comp- the competition wasn't very good. And you just felt like because he's such a, a team guy, you know, he, he was, a, again, go back to his roots. He's, he loves baseball. He loves basketball, loves the team sports. You get him around the right group of guys that can push him and, and elevate his game. And all of a sudden we might see something pop through. And I think we have, um, you know, he's day in, day out, probably my best ball striker. Um, which is, you know, some people go that no way. That's crazy. No, I'm telling you. I mean, if we had to have, on the last hole, a seven iron coming down the stretch that I needed to be, you know, at the flag, 20 feet, whatever. Yeah. He's my guy I would probably choose uh, on my golf team right now. And I've got two guys that are potentially going to be first team All-Americans right now. So um, he just – he's really good hit, hitting hitting um, every every golf shot in the bag. His putting's a little weak at times, but, but overall just we continue to see him develop. And uh, that's been fun. I um I want to talk about how you got into coaching. You know, I just recently spoke with J.C. Deacon, head coach at uh, University of Florida, and you know he played UNLV and then you know played some in the Canadian Tour, and he kind of just randomly got pulled into it. His coach just said, "Hey, uh, you know, I think you might be a good assistant," and uh, you know, 
you know, you want to come give it a shot. And then he gets in and he falls in love with it and he's off to the races. And now he's running a D1 program in the SEC. Um, I know you had a, a career ending elbow injury, but talk to me about just getting into coaching. Was it something that was even on your radar or is it just something that Coach Hack brought to you? Tell me a little bit about how you got into coaching. Yeah. Um, so my dad, uh, was a high school football coach in Georgia for 35 years. And so I grew up in the locker room and honestly, coaching is, I knew that this is probably going to be my life. Um, and, and kind of going back to my playing days when I was at Georgia, I, I struggled my, my senior year in college. I was not feeling very good about my game. I was not as motivated, um, as I, as I needed to be. And so I actually didn't even turn pro after school. I went, and because I knew I was going to get into coaching, I actually went and worked for the American Junior Golf Association for a, for basically 10 months before I actually popped in and was Hacker's assistant. Uh, that was starting in 2005. So I didn't play professional golf right out, of, right out of school because my mind wasn't where it needed to be to go be a big-time player. Interesting. And, yeah, and so w- once I started um, getting into the coaching world, which that's where I felt like I needed to be because that's it's just in my blood, and and I enjoy being around, um, you know, not only the game but but trying to help guys out get to the next level. I, I try and help them not fall into the same you know pitfalls that I that I did as as a really good player, and and. Uh, you know, it's, it's been interesting watching, you know, for me, if I take myself outside of my body and, and look back and I feel like I've been able to help a lot of my guys not fall into the same traps that I fell into as a, as a young player. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely knew that coaching was where I needed to be, but as I was coaching at Georgia, you know, my, my game was really coming back. My love for the game of playing it was was coming back. So I actually turned pro um, while I was coaching at Georgia. And um, and then I had an elbow injury. So then, you know, long story short, I ended up being out here back in the, the coaching game pretty quickly because I just couldn't recover quickly enough. But, uh, you know, my playing career was, was interesting. I, I, I was really good uh, at times in my career. I still think I can be good. I haven't been as healthy as I need to be, but I just got my amateur status back here last year, and I'm getting ready to give it a go. Uh oh, look out! Um, look out, US Midam. Look out! <laughs> yeah, uh, get, try and give it a go here again. Uh, if we can start playing golf, and and uh, but to answer your your original question, how did I know I was going to get into coaching? I think it's just it, it was in my blood, you know, and I really enjoyed the building process. I think my dad was a builder. And I, I definitely have feel like I have that same trait in me where, you know, you're always working on the next project. You know, how good can you actually get with a golf, you know, with it, with your program, whether it's a football program, golf program, whatever. Um, so I like the building process and what that looks like. And for me now, the challenge, you know, cause we build it, we build it, we build it. Then all of a sudden we win the championship. Now the building process is completely different and it's how do you maintain and sustain and, continue to build to becoming the best golf program in the country. Yeah. You, uh, you spend so much time with these guys and you know, you're talking a lot about, you know, coaching and you can't possibly be in coach mode all the time. I mean, you're around, you're around young guys in their early twenties and you know, you, you remember what it's like to be, you know, young and playing collegiately and 
you know, how do you kind of come back to their level and kind of be one of the boys at times, but then also be able to flip it back on and be their coach? Yeah, I think that's the unique part of coaching college golf is that we are around them so much. You know, we don't have a big staff. It's just myself and my assistant. Yeah. So when we go, we go to the movies, we go eat every meal together with these guys, we coach them. And then, you know, we still have to kind of end up being their friend, uh, have to be comedy relief at times. We have right. to be t- really tough on them at times. It's, it's just a lot, you know, it's, so you're kind of being balanced and being a parent, but also being their butt at times. Right. Yeah. Uh, because we are around them so much and, uh, you know, other sport, uh, coaching staffs, because of maybe their setup, they can just be kind of coached full time because they're, Hey, we're going to have a team meeting here and then we're going to play the game and then we're going to have film review, you know, but, and they go do their other stuff with their, with their teammates. For us, it's not like that. We're hopping in the van together. Yeah. We're do, I mean, it's just a really unique situation with college golf. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that's part of the balance of being as good as you can possibly be to where your kids, you know, they love you and they respect you. Um, but they understand what that line is, uh, to not cross it. But, but they also know that you're going to have fun when the time's right, you know? And, and I think that's a very hard task to, to comprehend. Uh, but I think that we do a pretty good job at it and we're trying to learn and get better at it every, every single day. I mean, it's one of the reasons why some of our older, uh, generation coaches, they don't ever want to leave this deal because it makes, it keeps you young, you You know, it keeps, it keeps you in the game when it comes to, you know, you're 60 years old and, and you're still hanging out with 20 year olds and, and, and it's still full time. You know I mean? You are, you are in there with those 20 year olds full time. So I hope that I get a chance to do that when I'm 60, because I know I'll, I won't want to, you know, let that go. What's uh, what's something that your team is really into when off the golf course that, that they, it's, it's a big part of their lives, whether it's, you know, socially or just whatever it is that, despite your best efforts, you just can't get on board with, I mean, is it Fortnite? Is it, is it TikTok? (laughs) Like, where Uh, are you just not like, like you're, you're in the van, you're, you're one of the guys, but where, where are you just like, guys, I I can't, I just can't get there with you. Fortnite was a big deal last year. Uh, one day I, I, I let them bring in, uh, a gaming system into the, into the Charlie coast center. That's our, that's where our facility is. Yeah. Uh, and we all played it together. Cause I'm like, I'm done with this. I want to see what this is all about. Right, We're right. Just wrap, wrap our arms around it. And I, and I did it and I'm like, man, this is, this is ridiculous. I cannot believe you guys are spending this much time on this type of deal, you know, cause the kids get addicted to it. I mean, uh-huh. it's no different than when I was growing up playing super Mario brothers. I get it. Um, but yeah, yeah. Fortnite was a tough one last year for me right now. I feel like this year and maybe it's because we only got about half the season in, but, uh, I, I don't feel like I had any, you know, forms of social media discomfort or, I mean, I, as we all know, I, our kids are just spending too much time on the phone. Yeah. Of course I am too. But, but yeah, I mean, when you actually look at their, you know, how much time they're spending on a day to day basis when it comes to their phone. That's, that's a tough deal. We are just so attached. So, but yeah, I would say Fortnite was a tough one for me last year. There's no doubt about that. What, um, uh, I, I'm trying to get some dirt on your players and some of them are leaving, <laughs> so we can throw them under the bus. It's fine. But speaking of buses, who on the team would be the last person you would want to drive the team van to a tournament? <laughs> the last person to drive? Uh, probably Patrick Welch. <laughs> okay. What? He doesn't even have a car. So oh, oh, that'd be a problem. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that he's probably, uh, 
guy that 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 might not be as good around the uh, on the steering wheel. So, <laughs> and you know, and and Quade Quade Cummins, uh, you know, as good of a driver as he is, his dad owns a car de- a couple of car dealerships here in Oklahoma, so he's been around cars his whole life. You know, his choice of music would end up getting getting on me after about oh I don't know thirty minutes. I can only listen to rap for so long. So. <laughs> Well, I, I I had some time talking to Quaid uh, uh, last year as kind of a lead up to the uh, to the Walker Cup. You know, he was right there. Um, gosh, he won uh, uh, Pack Coast. He won the Pack Coast, I think it was last year or two years ago, and just uh, uh, yeah, he won it uh, twenty under par and just the whole. You know, he was the last of the Burley boys that were on campus, and really enjoyed talking to him, especially just trying to understand his very well thought out theory on what he would do with his facial hair leading into tournaments. Um, he had, I mean, I I'm guessing, I know you're going to miss all your seniors, but I'm guessing there's probably not going to be another Quade Cummins coming in the door, uh, anytime soon. Just the whole package of Quade Cummins is what I mean. Yeah, no, you're right on. Um, man, I, I hope, uh, that I get a chance to coach another Quade Cummins at some point in my life. I don't know if I ever will. Um, he, he has been something special and you, you know, the facial hair, the, his look, uh, a lot of people like him for that. You know, that's really unique for, for him and his look, but he doesn't try. He's not one of those guys that is, that's trying hard. It's just kind of who he is. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and he, and he loves being a little different. Um, and it's interesting because his freshman year his red shirt freshman year. He's basically in 10 years of me coaching out here. This is actually my 11th season now. He's the only guy I've really redshirted. We've had some other redshirts, but for different reasons. He's the only guy I've redshirted because I didn't think he was ready to go play for us, but I knew that he could really help us out on the, uh, you know, coming down the stretch of his career. Right. Um, and and I'm so thankful that we were able to get to that because, like, his freshman year, he you couldn't even tell who he was. He was in a shell. He was this really quiet kid from Weatherford, Oklahoma. He didn't know who he was. And then all of a sudden by his – uh, his actual freshman year, uh, his second year here, um, he had developed into who Quade Cummins is right now, you know, and these, his teammates in the program and the university just really helped establish who he is. And, and he's just a monster. I mean, the, the guy is, is arguably the best team guy I've ever been around in my entire life. And, uh, he, he just really, makes a program like ours become that much better. And, and if he's not here next year and, you know, there's still a chance he actually still might come back. We don't sure. know yet. We're just kind of working through all that, but uh, we'll definitely have a significant hole uh, to fill with him. And it's not because of the scoring average. It's right. because of these, other, the, the intangibles that uh, get everybody else going. You know, it's, you know, obviously just like you said, it's, it's still really way too soon to, to, think about what's going to happen with these seniors there's there's so many different things to look at whether or not you know obviously they get a year of eligibility but then there's you know what about the kids you have coming in and and scholarship spaces there's all that stuff and then you know pga uh, u and and i know quade cummins and gear reband they picked up uh, uh spots for a card for pga tour uh, canada the mckenzie tour but i was just thinking earlier today that it's just such a unique situation we're living in because you know, you have the coronavirus that's put things on hold. And, you know, I know that the trend previously was looking at how quickly Matthew Wolf 
and Victor Hovland and Colin Morikawa made this immediate jump, and bam, they're on the PGA Tour, and they're winners, and they're off to the races. But then there's that other side of being on these developmental tours, and you just don't know what can happen. And, hey, injuries can happen, just like it happened to you. Um, I'm guessing there's going to be a, a pretty significant teaching moment you're going to have with a lot of these kids, not just these seniors, but years down the line of like, okay, let's, let's think this through because professional golf may not be the opportunity that it, it used to be, I guess. I, I mean, I'm not sure what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think those are the conversations we've always been able to have. Uh, it's just right now it's making everybody pause and think a little bit more about it because the one thing I'm concerned about with my guys turning pro is, is there going to be enough um, money knowing that the economy is doing what it's doing exactly, uh, and the support that they might not get now from manufacturers and sponsors and whatnot versus, you know, previous to, to Corona. And then the second thing, and which is even bigger is where are you going to go play? Uh, even though some of our kids already have Canada status, we don't know what that looks like yet. And if, if there's nowhere to go play, um, but, but yeah, I mean, when it comes to, there's going to be a trickle down effect is what I was saying Yeah. from the PGA tour. And there's going to be a log jam at some point where the opportunities just are not there. I don't, we don't know what that looks like. Maybe that happens this fall time. Maybe it's a whole nother 365 days from now, but, um, it, it's just making us really have to stop and evaluate and not just go, yeah, I'm turning pro. Um, you know, like you, you maybe did <laughs> yeah. previous to, to, to coronavirus for sure. Uh, you know, you have, you have these seniors that are, that maybe you're leaving, are leaving, but, uh, give me, give me a couple of good stories about your seniors. We've talked enough about Quaid. He doesn't, he doesn't need any more publicity. Let's talk about reband. Let's talk about your seniors. Um, you know, they're just in case that they are not coming back. Give me, give me a parting shot on, on your seniors that are leaving. Well, Garrett, let's start with Garrett Reban. Um, you know, he is really just coming into his own right now. He's, he's a young senior. He's only 20 years old. Uh, whereas Quay's 24, right? So is you talk about a significant difference in, in, oh, yeah. uh, just their makeup and whatnot, but, uh, big long hitter. I mean, he's turning into one of the longest hitters in college golf and he can putt. That's why his upside is super strong right now. Um, but what I love about Reban is, him coming into his maturity uh, this past year has been really fun to see. You can really see him wrap his arms around what the team uh, looks like and feels like. And he knows he's, you know, one of the guys uh, on the squad. And I don't know, even though he's been a big part of our makeup the last uh, two years prior to this, I feel like this is maybe the first year that I can really start to see that. And, and so we're going to miss that, you know, and, and uh, man, he has got some super duper, talent but he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever be around he he is genuinely uh just got a, a really big heart and uh uh so so yeah we're we're looking forward to seeing what his future is going to be because he's he's the type of guy that you can see on the pga tour um one day he might look up and he might be 26 years old and and uh doing some some really really good things on the pga tour so you guys need to be paying attention to that name garrett reband absolutely uh uh, Riley Casey, uh, Riley's had a, an interesting walk for four years, uh, he, day in, day out. He's kind of like Patrick Welch. He's probably one of my best ball strikers. Uh, and 
you know, he's just, he's had kind of a tough go when it comes to college and uh, the adversities that, that, that we throw at them, that college throws at you. And uh, he, he really contributed a lot his freshman and sophomore years and these last two years uh, where you would think that he would be a big player in the game. He just hasn't been uh, a big part of it. And it really has nothing to do with his golf. It's been more of the outside world um, and just kind of affecting him. But I'm going to tell you a story. We like um, stories here. Yeah, that, that's that, that's really cool for me to, to share. And, and I'll, I know he wouldn't mind me sharing this, but last week when we started having these conversations about seniors sticking around, you know, of all the guys that I would think about sticking around, it probably wouldn't be, we call him RC, uh, just because of the path that, that has, that he's gone down, you know, in college when it comes to just, it's been tough, you know? Yeah. And, and I uh, just figured he'd be ready to be done with it. But his transformation this fall has been very noticeable for, for us as a, coaching staff or, uh, you know, our, our, our players and whatnot, it's been very noticeable. He's been just doing a lot better. And he sat in my office and, and he, you know, he just started tearing up and, and crying and saying that coach, I, this is the first time I've ever really felt like I've been part of the team my whole life. Wow. And, um, I want to be back here next year. And so for me, that was that moment. One of the best like moments of my career yeah. that has no, nothing to do with winning yeah, uh, or, or losing or getting a recruit or doing anything like that. It was just purely this guy doesn't want to leave something that, that he felt has really made an impact on his life. So that was, that was really fun. And so we're wrapping our arms around him and hoping that, uh, you know, everything works out for, you know, what the NCAA does with, with this extra year of eligibility and, we're going to welcome him back if, if that's what we end up continuing to go down the path. But so that's a cool story. Yeah. Um, no, and I then, appreciate you sharing that one. That's good. That, I mean, that has to be so incredibly rewarding where he's not coming back saying, Hey, we just won a national championship and I'm a stud on the team and I want to come back and do it again. It's, this is a guy that's like, I don't want to leave my family yet. Yeah. Yeah. He was, it was, it was a very cool moment. There was no doubt about it. That's awesome. Um, Thomas Johnson uh, came in with Quaid. He's a fifth year senior. And, um, you know, similar, I got a kind of a similar story about a guy like Thomas that, that, that his path will be painted for almost every freshman center that comes in, in place for us because Thomas came in, just kind of had a, a rough first year as a freshman, you know, he, he, he didn't do everything great as a teammate. He got in trouble a couple times, did stuff that a lot of freshmen do but we can't afford to do as student athletes, you know, and, yeah. and whatnot. And his time was coming short, uh, on, on our watch. And, uh, thankfully for him, the rest of the guys on the squad absolutely love Tom. We call him Tom. And, uh, and so I kind of hung in there with him. I hung in there with him. And before you know it, you look back and Thomas is, uh, just an awesome guy, big time team guy works his tail off, wanted every opportunity to uh, finish off his career here. And, and honestly, he's one of the kind of model teammates now, uh, which, again, goes to growth and development. See, we, we learn a lot from our guys, though. You, you know, we, we learn that, you, you know, you can't maybe just cut them off as quickly as you'd like to, right? We, we, we've got to be able to be patient with them and understand that there's a lot of changes going on in, in, in their life and whatnot. So 
Tom, Tom, just another really good story though of persevering and hanging in there and, and really changing his life and, and his personality to, to make sure that uh, he didn't lose out on his opportunity and he did a great job for us. Well, that's awesome. I, I'm, I'm glad you shared those stories because, uh, you know, getting to know these guys, I'm sure, I mean, gosh, I can't imagine. Well, I mean, we've all been there, but that, that 18 to 21 age range, it's just three years, but a lot happens in three years. In those, yes, sir. In those three years, especially. Yes, sir. There's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> a lot going on there. Um, well, coach, I appreciate you taking time away from the estrogen fortress that you're locked into right now. And, uh, and uh, good luck with building that fort and good luck with, uh, you know, I know we've got a lot of things to figure out and what, what college golf is going to look like in the next few months, but uh, all the best to you and the, and the team. And uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. You got it. Appreciate you having me on. And there you have it. Special thanks to coach Ryan Hibble for joining me this week here at the back of the range. Make sure you're following along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Remember, every single episode is available for download, whether it's an Apple podcast, Spotify, Overcast, you name it. The central hub is the backoftherange.com. We'll see you again next time for another episode here at the back of the range.